Well, last week we uh, started a new series we're calling Mountaintops. And uh, as you look throughout the scriptures, there is every time God showed up to somebody on a mountaintop, he revealed part of his character and revealed part of who he is. And then that person, you know, he went back down into the valley to accomplish the purposes that, that God had for him. Last week we talked about Abraham and how he took Isaac up Mount Moriah and and uh, Abraham's faith was tested, but God was the provider. And today we're going to be talking about the Mount of Olives because today is what's considered traditionally Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that Jesus came into the uh, came off the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem, and so uh, it's an incredible. Uh, credible thing we're going to be looking at today, but uh, I just want to remind you next weekend on Friday night, we have our Good Friday service at six o'clock right here. Uh, some have asked, well, why are we not doing a community-wide one this year? Well, we as pastors got together and, and uh, I, I appreciate their hearts and, and uh, we just felt like we don't want to just do something again for doing its sake. We want to make sure that the Lord is in it. And we felt like this year, congregations needed to do their own. So at 6 o'clock Friday night, right in here, we will be having our Good Friday service. It's a good one to invite um, others to come to. There is no child care, but there will be some, uh, and I think it's moving pace-wise, interactive enough for the kiddos. And it will be doing communion as part of it. It's going to be a special time. And then next Sunday, we have three services, 8.15, 9.30, and 11. So uh, you might want to figure it out. We, we're not having on-campus Bible fellowships that, that day. So at 8.15, 9.30, and 11, those that come to the 8.30 service normally, they're going to have to bump it back up to 8.15. But you might want to find your place in there, and uh, we, we're just excited. Resurrection Weekend, man, it just seems to, you know, last year was in March, and this year it's in late April, and next year it's in April as well. So you, you're hard to figure out sometimes, but next weekend's going to be incredible. Hey, I want you to stand with me. Grab your Bibles and stand with me and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. And let me read God's word to us today and keep your Bibles open. Uh, I encourage you to take notes just to uh, keep you uh, current with what's going on. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go catch it online and uh, just uh, see through this whole series how God moves us. Luke 19, verse 28. Let me read. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God and louses for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, 
Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's pray together. Father, we come to exalt you today. Lord God, you are are actively involved in every life on this planet. Seven billion people, and you know exactly what's going on. You know the motives of the heart. You know the unspoken words that uh, that are there. And so, Lord, today we we know that you desire to do a great work among your people. Lord, sometimes we need stoked. Lord, we let the we let the fire grow dim, and and it's because of things of this earth. So often, Lord, the 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 hard times we go through, or the broken relationships, or the flat flesh stuff that we get into, and it, it just dampens our 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 desire to even know you more. Lord, we're asking today that you would come and just stoke us, Lord. That you would come and you would set us ablaze for your glory, Lord. That we would be willing to repent of those things that are not of you. We'd be willing to lay them aside, Lord, so that you could be exalted. Because our community, our nation, needs to see Christ's followers on fire for you. So, Lord, we're asking this of you today. Lord, come, make yourself known. Lord, let us just know your incredible presence and change lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know that uh, you probably in life have a, have one of those favorite places to go to, uh, or it's a place that you just like to go because you can relax, you can uh, kind of be yourself, you can let the sand of life kind of kind of settle, and uh, and it and it's just good to be there. I remember when we we got married, we we grew up in Waco, Pam and I, and uh, we moved away and started having kids and everything. And on the holidays, especially around Christmas, you would go back to to visit parents. And uh, there was always something about going back that was uh, refreshing. It was something, maybe maybe it was just being in a place where you knew was safe before, a favored place to come to, and it was just that kind of place. And so uh, you you may have a place. You may have that place that you can go and be still and be quiet, or just enjoy friends, enjoy family, that is just a good place. It brings good memories because of what you've experienced there. Uh, Jesus had a favorite place, I think, and it was called the Mount of Olives. And he he had incredible uh, experiences there. In fact, a guy by the name of Frank Viola has written a book called God's Favorite Place on Earth, and he talks about how Jesus had some incredible experiences on part of the Mount of Olives. And uh, let me just kind of give you some a little bit of little bit of geographical uh, information, just so that you can know. It's going to help you to understand as we talk about what we talk about today. Mount of Olives is on the east side of of Jerusalem. It's a it's part of the Judean hillside, the Judean mountains that are on the east side of um, of Jer- Jerusalem. The first place we hear about it in Scripture is when King David. His son Absalom has a coup to overthrow his dad, King David, and King David leaves Jerusalem and he goes out through the Kidron Valley, through the Mount of Olives, weeping because of the situation that, that's there. I've got a couple of pictures, just, these are modern day pictures, these aren't gonna, uh, uh, help you a whole lot, but this is looking across the Kidron Valley into, into Jerusalem, and, uh, you can kind of see uh, a little bit. Let, show the next one because this will this will help you a little bit. This is once again on the Mount of Olives. You're looking across what is called the Kidron Valley, 
And uh, you're looking at what's called the Dome of the Rock, which is actually on the Temple Mount right now. So back in its day, the temple would have been right there, just shifted a little bit to the side. And uh, the gate, uh, I can't point it, but the Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate, you always hear about the Eastern Gate. Uh, that Jesus came down the Mount of Olives through that Eastern Gate right into the Temple uh, Courtyard is where he came. So if you're looking across the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives, Jesus did this very often, and he would see the magnificence of the temple, and he would see the glory of God as far as that temple goes. But the other thing about the Mount of Olives is there's some cities, villages that were up there. One of them was called Bethany, and Bethany was one of Jesus' favorite places to go to. Because he had three dear friends there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. These were three dear friends of his, and he loved to go to their house. He loved the hospitality they showed him. I think he could just be himself, you know, just come and uh, and maybe just sit in silence sometimes. You know, that's always the sign of a good friend. And he would come, and he, he had experiences there in that home, and he had experiences. Remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead. How about that one? And uh, he also had another experience where a lady comes, breaks a breaks a oil, and, and worships him. And, and it was just an incredible experience. Also, on the Mount of Olives, there's a reason it's known as the Mount of Olives, because there's olive trees. Some of them are, are uh, almost a 1,000 years old still there, uh, olive trees. And uh, there were olive groves all over there. So Jesus had places to uh, get away, to pray, and just be still. But he's always he, he was looking across the Kidron Valley into uh, what, what represented the presence of God as the temple there. And so he loved, he loved the Mount of Olives. However, we're going to look at three, uh, uh, three things today. We're going to look at the triumphal entry, we're going to look at the twist, and then we're going to look at the trauma. So you can j- uh, jot your notes down. But it's going to get real personal here in a little bit, so hang on with me. The first thing I want to talk about is the triumphal entry, because this is Palm Sunday, okay? Uh, we've all done this, but I've seen somebody to go to great lengths. If you take a, a bunch of dominoes and, you know, you set them up on their ends and you try to make a design or something, you, you've seen the elaborate things that people go to. And don't you hate it when you're doing this and, uh, and somebody bumps the table or something, and there goes all the dominoes. Man, you're frustrated. But you set all this up. And what happens is, is you go to the end and you tip one domino, and when you tip that one domino, it sets into motion. You're not going to stop it. It sets into motion all the rest of the dominoes falling. Jesus is looking across the Mount of Olives, and he's about to enter in through the Kidron Valley, enter into Jerusalem. And what's about to happen is, is the domino's about to be tipped. And that domino is going to set into effect that whole Holy Week, coming to Good Friday where he's going to be crucified, eventually leading into the resurrection on Sunday. But but today I want to talk about that domino being tipped and why that is so uh, important for us. But what happens is, is Jesus tells two of his disciples to go and find a colt that is tied up there. That colt would have been, we learned from Scripture, it was a donkey colt. Uh, and uh, we thinking, man, donkeys, donkeys in our day are not seen. They're, you know, they get... They're seen as ignorant or these kind of things. And, and, uh, but a donkey in this particular time of history, uh, royalty. Now, eventually horses were going to take over, but we would be royalty that would come. And what Jesus is coming in, Zechariah the prophet, uh, many, many decades and centuries earlier, had written this in his prophecy. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, centuries later, is fulfilling the prophecy that Zechariah spoke of. And what happens is, is they get this colt, this uh, uh, foal of a donkey, the disciples put their cloaks over the back so that Jesus has some padding. And what happens is, is they begin the trek off the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley, and they're going to come into Jerusalem. And what happens is, is people are gathered on both sides of the road. And what they've done is they've taken their cloaks and they're laying them on the floor, and they've taken palm branches and they're waving. Now, we, we wonder what's the deal about the palm branches. Well, it was a nationalistic kind of thing. It was the nation of Israel that represented the palm branches, and they were waving them because here comes Jesus. And here's the deal. Jesus, his whole ministry, three years of ministry, had never drawn attention to himself as a king. But this particular time, the domino is set in motion, and the people are going to recognize him as king. And so they're shouting out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's a scene, man. They, the throngs are there. They're crying out. They're laying their cloaks down, their palm branches. Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey, and he's headed in through that gate into Jerusalem. Now, the, the, there, I believe there were three kinds of people at that parade that were taking place, that triumphal entry. And I think it represents people today. The first one were his true disciples. Those men that he had chosen out, that had walked with him for three years. One of them is going to betray him. We know that. But these other disciples, maybe they don't fully comprehend. Even though Jesus had told them he's going to be crucified, he's going to raise from the dead, they cannot understand that. And so he's coming in, and they're thinking, maybe he's setting up an earthly kingship. Maybe this is what's taking place. But they are with him, sink or swim. Granted, Peter's going to deny him. The others are going to flee. We see all that. But their hearts were driven back to Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? They were true disciples. And, and so you may be here and think, Mark, I hope I'm a true disciple, but I've let him down so many times. We all have, okay? But our hearts bring us back. And so their hearts were, were surrendered to Jesus. They were going to follow him no matter what. True disciples. But the second group is what I call the crowd. The crowd. The crowd was there. Did, did they really know what's going on? You know how crowds are. Crowds are fickle, man. Whatever's going on, we're in the middle of it. So the whole crowd is yelling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting out, you know, these praises to the king. They, they don't really know what kind of kingdom he's going to set out. They're just the crowd. Crowds are weird, aren't they? I mean, uh, many of you uh, have seen what crowds do when the crowd gets out of control. Uh, it was like it was interesting to read about how Texas Tech won their final four game and students there were probably conservative, but the crowd got out of control. They end up burning cars and this kind of thing. The crowd can lead you to do what you uh, would not do in your right mind sometimes. So the crowd was there and they represented uh, many people today. Many people are just in a crowd. They come to church or they come to religious stuff. But really, they're on the peripheral. Other people seem to get caught up in it. it. What has it done for me lately? I will become part of that crowd. But we know that this crowd, only days later, are going to be yelling. This, instead of yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're going to be yelling, crucify him. The crowds. 
But the third group is the religious leaders, uh, the complacent, uh, is the way I look at it. And here, here's the religious leaders. You ready? They are wanting to quiet Jesus down because he is really messing up their gig. He's messing things up. He is coming into town, and, and these religious leaders had everything under control. They had the Romans at least a little bit at bay, and here comes Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, he'll mess up your day. And he was going to mess it up for the religious leaders. They were no longer going to be in control. It was not going to be a religiosity kind of thing. Now we're going to, we're going to talk about God's kingdom coming to earth, and this is going to mess everything up. So what do they do? They tell Jesus, hey, you need to tell your people to be quiet. And I love what he responds. He said, if I tell them to be quiet, let me tell you something. These rocks are going to start crying out who I am. Isn't that good? We don't want any rock in our place, man, but, but, but that's what he was telling us. I believe those three groups of people still exist today. You've got your, your, your faithfully disciples following Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to follow you even when I don't understand what I'm going through. I'm going to follow you. But many are in the crowd. Man, as long as it's going my way, I got it. I'm in the crowd. In fact, there will be two people that walk out of here today. There's going to be one walk out and say, man, God was so good today. And then there's going to be others that are going to go out saying, man, I wish they would have sang more songs. I wish Mark wouldn't have talked so long. You know, they get caught up in that crowd kind of thing. But then there's still today the religious complacent. That if Jesus shows up, he's going to mess up my life. If I really follow Jesus, he's going to mess things up. To be honest with you, he will, but for the good. I don't know, you may find yourself somewhere in there. And you may bounce around sometimes, and God has to kind of get your attention. But that was the triumphal entry. The second part is what I call the twist, though. And, and here's the way the twist goes. Jesus is coming in. Many of those people are thinking, he's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going he's to make life easier for us. That's what the king is going to do. So here comes Jesus, and they're yelling out. Okay, so Jesus comes through the gate, and instead of going left to the temple, uh, excuse me, instead of going right to the what's called the Antonio Fortress, which would have been the seat of all the Roman influence there, instead of going to the Antonio Fortress, he turns left and goes into the temple. And he goes into the temple courtyard, and what he starts doing is he starts turning over the tables uh, kicking out the money changers that were extorting people. And he says, you have taken the house of God, which is meant for prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And man, they're seeing a side of Jesus they had never seen before. But many of the people thought he would turn right and go get onto the Romans. Instead, he turned left and got onto the man-made religiosity of the day. And he was basically showing at that point, listen, I did not come to overthrow an earthly kingdom. There is so much more going on that you are not aware of. I am coming to set up my heavenly kingdom so that all people can come in. But it is amazing how nearsighted we are. God, what have you done for me lately? You know, as long as God is, is giving me a job and he's giving me health and he's giving me finances and he's giving me a home and he's giving me everything, God, I will follow you. But what about when everything's stripped away? 
We want the God of ease. We want enough Jesus to make us feel comfortable, but not enough to make us suffer. God, I'll follow you as long as everything's okay, but man, you've let me down here or something like that. We start making up those things. And he turns to our hearts instead of turning towards the government. He wants to capture our hearts. But this was the twist because they thought he was going to go one way. Instead, he went the other. And he was showing, I'm coming to set up a kingdom that you just don't understand yet. But it's more important than what the Romans, the Romans will come and go. But this kingdom will last forever. So there was the triumphal entry, then there was the twist, and then there comes what I call the trauma. If you still have your Bibles open, I hope you do. I want you to turn with me just a couple of chapters over to Luke 22. And in Luke chapter 22, it's a, it's a little, a couple of days later from the entry, but we're still on Mount of Olives. Luke 22, verse 39. It says this. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. See, he was regular, regular there. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not I will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This is the trauma. Trauma of what's about to take place. Jesus has met with his disciples. They had their Passover meal. They come across and they go to a place that was pretty regular for Jesus, a garden to pray in. And he goes over and he begins to pray. Now, listen, we we pray, but our prayer has no kind of intensity compared to what Jesus was going through. He knew the domino had started and he knew it was going to end with him on a cross. He was going to suffer for all of mankind. And so he comes with incredible intensity. You, you may have even looked it up and studied a little bit, but the intensity was so great that the blood vessels in his, his brow began to break and the bleeding came down his face. Hematidrosis is what they actually call it, where the blood gets into the sweat glands and it just comes down the face. And he was so intense in what took place in his prayer. God, if there's any other way than me to drink this cup, to drink of what needs to take place. Father, if there's any other way, let it happen. But then he break through, but not my will, but yours be done. What I want to talk about over just the remainder of our time is I want to talk to you a little bit about suffering. And uh, listen, suffering, all of you, all of you in this room have gone through some kind of suffering. Some of you are suffering greatly right now. I don't know what it may be, a broken relationship or, or um, a family member who has drifted, a health situation, a financial situation. Some of you are going through some incredible suffering, 
And I want to just talk to you on a very practical level about suffering for a few minutes. And I want to do is I want to list out six things that Jesus going through this suffering in the garden, which let me hear me. You'll never go through what he went through with your suffering. He did that for the sake of all mankind. In that cup that he drank was all the sin, a perfect human, a perfect in his relationship with the Father, perfect in, in, in morality, perfect and pure in all ways. He was going to drink the cup of the wrath of all the sins of mankind. Everyone that you've ever committed, everyone I've ever committed, all of mankind. He was going to take on himself. That was suffering. Lead him to a cross. But I want to talk to you on a practical level what Jesus' suffering we can see on, a, on another level. And there's going to be six things that will be on the board, not long. But I, I want to just see these. Number one is this. Suffering is universal and unavoidable. It's universal and unavoidable. If you're thinking in this room, I, I will never go through suffering, oh, I, wish I, could, I wish I could say yes. But that's not the case. All of us will go through suffering. We live on a fallen planet, folks. We live on a a fallen planet, sinful planet. We will all suffer. These bodies will decay. Relationships will fracture as much as I hate it. You will go through ups and down times, but God will, will help you through those times. Jesus went through suffering, and the scriptures say if he went through it, we will go through it. I wish I could say it's not going to happen, but usually the way I look at it, and uh, I can speak from experience, is that suffering refines us. God uses it to refine us, but you've either gone entering the suffering or you're coming out of suffering, you're in the middle of suffering, or you may be at that end of that season, and God has, has shown you some things and you've revealed himself and you're walking that out, but chances are you're going to go through another kind of of suffering, and, and many of you will be. Uh, Jack Hendrickson was in the first service, and Jack's wife Laura passed away last Sunday. And we're standing in that hospital room as she's taking her final breaths. And a husband of 62 years is grieving over his wife. Let me tell you, that is suffering. That is a suffering. And uh, many of you are going through very similar types of things today, but. As much as I want to say it is not avoidable, it is universal. It happens to everyone. Number two is this, and you need to hear this. Suffering is not a judgment for sin. Suffering is not a judgment for sin. Now listen, you will you will walk out the consequences of your sin and stupid decisions, but what you're going through suffering-wise, isn't God's not putting you through that because he's mad at you because of sin in your life. And I know all of you are like Pam and I. You're, you're going through a point of suffering and you're thinking, God, what did I do wrong? What did I do? What sin did I commit that I'm going through this? And that's not the case. That is not the case. It is just part of the fallen humanity, the fallenness that we go through. And God will use this suffering as a tool to refine our faith and ultimately bring us into glory. But he does not send suffering as that tool of judgment that you're going through. He will allow hard times, but he's always in the refining business. The third thing is this, and this is a good one. I'll try to give you some hope. (laughs) Suffering is temporary. Suffering is temporary. 
uh, it says in in uh, 1 Peter 5.10, I love this, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. For a little while. Seasons. Uh, we measure things by time. And there have been certain years you go through, and you're thinking, okay, December 31st, everything's going to be great going into the new year. Oh, no. I think God looks at seasons. We, we measure things by time. He measures things by seasons. And like Peter said, for a little while, you go through this for a little while. Eventually, you're going to enter into an eternal glory. But while you're here for a little while, you will go through suffering. God does not waste that suffering. But I want to give you hope. It's temporary. It is temporary. Number four, God loves me and has not forgotten me. Man, that is so important to know. God loves me and has not forgotten me. Romans eight thirty-five through 39 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even if you're running from him, you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. Even if you're walking in disobedience in a sinful life, it's not going to separate you from the love of, of God through Jesus Christ. So whatever you're going through right now, suffering that you may be going through, I want you to know God loves you and he has not abandoned you. He has not left you. And number five is this. God feels with me in my suffering. In the garden... Jesus is crying out to the Father. Now listen, listen, we're talking about a, a God thing here. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, but he emptied himself, becoming like us, bond servants. And he, he has such a relationship with the Father that when they're in a garden, he's crying out to the Father. I mean, just the intensity of the crying out. But let me tell you something. Father has not abandoned him. He's feeling with him in the midst of that. Many of you are parents in this room, or, or, or your kids may be grown, but you know what it's like to parent a child. That child uh, breaks an arm, or has to have stitches, or breaks a crown off their nose. I don't know what it may be, but you take them to the emergency room, and the doctors and the nurses are having to do something, and there you are, and that child is, is maybe even says it. Dad, why am I going through this? Dad, stop them. But you know as a father, you know as a mom, that you have got to hold them down there so that they can go through the treatment that they need to go through. And I think that's the relationship of Jesus and the Father in the garden. Jesus is saying, if there's any other way, let it happen than me having to go to this cross that I may have to do. And the Father is having to hold him, knowing that this is the, the, what needs to take place for all of mankind. And I want you to know the Father is, feels the same way towards you, his child. Whatever you're going through. His heart is breaking with you, but he's holding you, knowing that he's refining and you're going to be 
You're going to grow through this. Number six, the last one. When we suffer, it's okay to ask why. When you suffer, it's okay to ask why. Jesus even asked for another way. And some of you are angry with God. You had a spouse walk out or you had somebody die on you and you're going through that anger part of grief and say, God, you could have stopped this. You're the only one that could have stopped this. And you know, that's really not a bad place to be because you're acknowledging that he is God at that point. But it's okay to ask why. And the Father gives you the comforter. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And you come and you end up trusting him. God, I do not understand this. I don't like where I'm walking through, but I will trust you in the midst of it. And I can ask why. And some of you are asking why today. I, you know, m- me with my pastor's heart, I want to wave a magic wand and you feel good. And you not be going through this anymore. But we pull people out of the frying pan too fast when God is working on them, refining them in certain, certain ways. But it's okay to ask why. It's, oh, God is big enough to handle your anger. You, 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 some, sometimes, you know, the way we do it as, as uh, humans is we get mad at somebody. We start pouting and, and implode and all that kind of stuff. It's like God doesn't see that, right? He knows all things. So just let it out. You will experience his love as never before in the midst of that. So how did Jesus respond? He's suffering in the garden. How did he respond? Two ways. And I hope this is very helpful to you. Number one, he prayed. He prayed. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And I know you can say, well, Mark, prayer. We always say, I'll pray about it. And then we don't pray about it. We're going through that. We pray. We, we pray. Now, here's the deal about prayer. Prayer does not mean that he will change your circumstances. Oftentimes, he will change you in the midst of your circumstances. So it's an intimacy thing with with the Father. And that's what Jesus has. He's crying out in prayer and there's intimacy with the Father. In your suffering, whatever you're going through, cry out to the Father. Pray. See how He can walk with you in the midst of your trial. Pray. But the second thing that Jesus did is He yielded. He yielded. He gave His self in submission to the will of the Father Father, not my will, but yours be done. I, I may not understand it all, but your will be done. Submission is not easy. We don't like to submit. I mean, you know, you watch an MMA fight and somebody has to tap out. That means they, they submit it. We think, oh, that's losing. No, it's not. It's giving way to someone that knows all and sees all and is greater than you are. And you trust him. Maybe you don't understand it, but in all my ways, Lord, I'll trust you. I don't know why we're walking through this right now. I don't know, God. But I'll yield to you because you're greater than me. Some of you are suffering today. There's a story about Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was a, was a renowned missionary to Burma. And he endured incredible hardships. And for a stretch of time, he was put in prison. And his time in prison there in Burma, they were, he was shackled with, with the wrist irons and leg irons, and he was treated severely bad. And eventually, he got out of prison. And he went to the ruler of Burma, and he said, would it be all right if there was another province 
that I could go to and preach at. And the ruler responded this way. He said, my people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say, but I fear they might be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. Not what you say, but your scars. You know, people who don't know Christ, who have walked away from Christ, when they think of Christians, they don't think good things today. They think that we're arrogant. They think we're bigoted. They think that we think that we're better than anybody else. They think that everybody that comes in here thinks they're okay. Not told you I'm the number one screwed up person in here, so you have freedom to be that way. But that's the way they think because we've given off something that's not genuine and, and true. But let me tell you, when you go through suffering, when you go through hard times, now you've earned the right to be heard, not because of what you say, but because of your scars. Pam and I have discovered that some of the things we have walked through have given us a better voice to be able to talk about the love of God. Maybe the same for you. You know, one of my prayers, really, in our time off and coming back in, is God, your church, we need a stoking. We we really do, God. If we're going to make impact in our world for the sake of the kingdom, we have got to wake up. And uh, I I had one of those experiences. I w- I was not ready for this cold front this morning. I was just not ready. It was 90 degrees last week. Good night. And here we are in low 40s. I, I just wasn't, wasn't ready for it. And so I wasn't ready for it because Pam and I talked about it, and we've got one of those, you know, gas uh, fireplaces in our house that you just go hit the switch on the wall, and ha, ah, it is nice. But it's got a pilot light on there, so we talked about it, and we cut the gas off from the pilot light to the thing. And this morning when it's freezing cold, oh, man, I wanted to go flip, flip that switch so bad. But I wasn't going to get on my knees and do all the gas stuff to, to do it because I was going to be leaving. But I thought about that, and the Lord kind of triggered something in my heart. You know, we so often want to flip the switch and God come and do what only he can do, and God come, show up. But what happened is we cut off the pilot light. We have let ourselves grow so dim in our walk with him that we're crying, God, flip the switch, flip the switch. And if we were to flip it, nothing's happening because we have grown so dormant. That's another thing. Man, uh, I was doing all right till that last rainstorm, and my yard took off. I had to go mow Friday when I got home. I thought, this is crazy. You know, it grew. It was dormant until the storms came. Maybe some of our storms in life have come to grow us. But maybe our pilot light's gone out and we need to come before the Lord and say, God, I need to come ablaze for you today. And that's my prayer. You never know how good your anchor is that you can trust it until you're in a storm. If Jesus is your anchor, you can trust Him. I want, to, I want you to bow your heads with me just a moment.